This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Alyssa Explains It All. I hope you all are having a wonderful Tuesday today. We are really, we're in summer. We are in it. I have to be honest, it's not it's not really my favorite time of year, but it does mean that we're getting closer to what's actually my favorite time of year, which is the fall and spooky season. And I was just telling producer Matt how uh, I start decorating literally the day after Labor Day for all of the fall activities. So that's exciting. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Christine Romano, and she is truly one of the most wonderful, intelligent women I've ever met. She is so well-educated on everything that has to do with relationships and sex and all these kinds of She's just great. And so she was the perfect person to sit down and talk to when it came to desire discrepancies, because that is the question that I get asked the most by far in all of my Q&A boxes, my DMs, in my email. I get that question all the time. So we unpacked what a desire discrepancy is, what it looks like, and some ways that you can kind of get on top of it because nobody's ever broken. There are always ways to work on things like this. And so I'm really excited to have her on so that she can help open up that door for us. So without any further ado, enjoy Dr. Christine Romano. Oh my God, I am so excited to see you. This is like thrilling and I'm so happy that you're spending time with us today. I feel exactly the same way. I'm super excited. I just hope I can be helpful to whoever's listening and to you and the world. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah. Yay. Well, I'm going to read your quick little bio so that everyone knows sure. who we're who we're dealing with. <laughs> we, 
We have Dr. Christine Romano on the call today. <gasps> she is a PhD level licensed mental health counselor and an ASEC certified sex therapist. And she has specialized in trauma, anxiety, sex and intimacy, sexual dysfunction, sexual exploration, gender diverse, like everything, everything. <laughs> Christine is big brain and we love Christine. <laughs> and she also has a group practice with a bunch of amazing clinicians. And now mm -hmm. she's also starting um, to expand more on her teaching master's and doctorate. Um, mm -hmm students. So I am, it's truly like, it's so exciting to have you on just because I like personally know you, mm -hmm. but you also are such a gift to the community. I love how you're like, I just want to help the whole world. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Starting I, small. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Um, you know, when you're doing this work, it's, it's pretty isolating. You don't get a lot of contact to like the real world and even like the internet unfortunately i'm not on social media but yeah um so you know when you are a therapist when you are a teacher or a professor when you are working in a small group practice you are in your little like igloos and bubbles mm. and you don't get a lot of like inquiries from the community and the the, the world yeah. so it's nice to be able to do something a little bit different in a different setting to reach more people and just kind of like address more concerns that are floating around that I would not know if I didn't do something like this. Right, right. And when I had told you that we were going to talk about um, desire discrepancies, because yes. that's a question that I get asked the most, you were kind of surprised. And I was surprised that you were surprised. Does it not come up in your private practice very much? I mean, of course it does all of the time. I just figured like there's so many resources out there. There's so many, you know, clinical and non-clinical folks out there who address stuff like this. There's books, there's articles, there's research, of course. So when you told me this, I, I was surprised because in a good way and in just a like curious way, like I thought that, uh, like I said, people might get their problems solved through non-clinical, you know, avenues. But um, I'm glad people are talking about this because mm -hmm. I think for generations and for decades, at least, it's kind of like sex is there to reproduce and it serves like no pleasure, full purpose. And, yeah. um, you know, I'm glad that not only people are talking about it, but they're talking about it in their intimate relationships and settings. Mm -hmm. And what do, what I do find is people have a hard time talking about it. And that's a lot of what I do. So it's, yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, me too. And I think having uh, like people just speak publicly, even on like on my social medias, a lot of the times the messages I get are just like, I'm just really glad that you're talking about this at all because I feel less alone. And that's that alone is like is worth every moment that I spend on all of my social medias and doing all of that kind of stuff. So I'm glad that we could talk about this. And I also this is like kind of unrelated, but related. I've been on a um, absolute black hole of Bridgerton, Victorian <laughs> Regency era. I love it. <laughs> and the reason I bring it up is because obviously in like Bridgerton, they make everything sexy. But like, yeah. in reality, those relationships for so long were like, completely transactional, they were financial, they were like, or like social um, arrangements and things like that. And so we're now finally moving into a place I feel like maybe since like, the second women's uh, rights movement, like the 60s, we're moving into a place where like pleasure is actually becoming in the forefront. And that's what's cool about people asking me that question. It's like, I'm so happy that you care. I'm so happy that this is like something that you're willing to not just like plug through all the time. 
And I think the, like, literally piggybacking off of that, I think that people don't realize that they have needs and don't realize, like, how to seek them. So one of the, you know, nuggets of knowledge today is probably going to be, um, I, I can't just say women, but I would, I will say partners and probably majority women do find themselves in a place and I'm speaking from my anecdotal experience. I'm also speaking from the research that they find themselves in a place where they feel like in order to secure this relationship, in order to feel the most connection and to not ruffle feathers or rock this boat, I have to please my partner. And in some cases it is a male partner, not all the time, but they neglect their own needs and they're, they're, and then for, you know, generations or as time goes on, they start to lose even connectedness to their body and connectedness to um, not only not realizing that they have a space to seek their own needs, but a way to do it. Mm-hmm. And what I find often is I'm doing a lot of what we call psychoeducation with people and helping them understand the mind-body connection, which I know is highly talked about today. But it is really important that you know that your pleasure zones are not just your clitoris and your, you know, G spot for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. Um, And that you can orgasm in various ways and that your needs matter sexually and non-sexually in dyads, in, you know, polyamorous relationships, non-monogamous situations. Um, So I find it's a lot of like psychoeducation to, to help you realize like, okay, here's what partner A wants, here's what partner C. B wants maybe partner C and D and helping them understand what their partner wants and needs and what they desire and deserve. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So we kind of are like going around what desire um, discrepancies are, but could you explain, Yeah, you know, what a desire discrepancy is and what it might look like in like an actual um, relationship in practice? Absolutely. So I usually see dyads, um, and individuals who will express desire discrepancy. And I think it could come in many shapes and forms. Um, If you're talking sexually, which I assume that you are. Yeah. (laughs) It's that my partner wants something very specific or they want a certain frequency or they want it like on this day and this time. And Mm -hmm. I just can't like be a robot and turn my on switch on. Um, I think that people... Also, they think very traditionally about sex where they're like, okay, if we're dating, we should do it every day. And if we're, you know, married, we should do it once a month is good enough. And if we have children, it's like, we're lucky if it's a year, which is, you know, all, they're all such rumors. Like every couple is just, or couple or relationship is just so different um, in what they need. And oftentimes, weirdly enough, I find that once the conversation starts going, the couple finds that they want a very similar frequency or it's not really like two different extremes. You Interesting. Know, maybe one wants it four times a week and one wants it two and we can land on three day- times a week. Right. More so the bigger barrier is responsibilities and stress mm. and just like division of labor and life. Sometimes resentment. Sometimes there's a history of transgression or um, individual kind of like healing that needs to happen. But that's a, it's a good question. I think it just looks so different from couple to couple, but 
it's a dis- it's a difference in what co- you know partner one let's say wants versus partner two in um mostly frequency and mostly like what is actually happening um mm. and to get more specific foreplay is a big deal too yeah yeah it's interesting that when people are actually having conversations with you like partners are having conversations about what they're looking for you find that it's actually not that different do you feel like there's just a lot of assumptions like (laughs) i'm really bad at at making assumptions and and you know thinking the worst but do you think it's like just people making assumptions back and forth or is there like um maybe a societal pressure where a guy thinks he needs to be having sex with his his wife or whatever every day. And so that's what he's presenting. But in reality, he doesn't really want that. Well, I, there's, this a great question. I would say a few different things are happening. First of all, um, everybody in the world should do a sexological ecosystem questionnaire, which is something I do with clients. It's basically every question you can ask someone about their sexual identity, their gender identity, sexual anything and everything and um relationship uh you know just details from early childhood middle childhood you know late adulthood late um, adolescence into early adulthood into like end of life Mm -hmm. and it really frames like what are the cultural messages that you received and it really highlights you know every sphere that one can identify with so once i kind of understand like their world and the religious messages maybe they received. How did they talk about puberty in school? When did they start masturbating? Were they exposed to porn at a certain age? Um, those are the fun questions. But mm-hmm. you know, there's more about like when did you know you had a penis or a vulva? Right. Um, once I get an understanding of that, I can better like help them build awareness and understand like, okay, here's what happened for a couple of decades or so. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here's how it's playing out in your life behaviorally. If you were a solo person walking amongst the earth, you could do whatever you want. You could masturbate Mm -hmm. whenever you want. You could, you know, do sexual things whenever, however. Um, But in a relationship, your partner's also coming with their own kaleidoscope of their sexological ecosystem so how are you going to morph those together um so i do think like they're i call it like a cultural makeup basically like how are they sexually influenced how are they culturally influenced in their life i do think that there's societal pressure on a macro scale i do think that there's even like um social pressure on like a micro scale like Mm -hmm. you know your buddy in the gym or your friend at at brunch can tell you like oh like i did all this stuff you know whether accurate or not um i do think that there's pressure that folks hear from tons of tons of places that might impact but why are we not talking about it with our partner like yeah. do we not feel trust do we not feel loyalty honesty do we feel like silence is something that you're used to in your parental relationships or caregiver relationships so you are just like let me make assumptions and let me just stay quiet about this and like just behaviorally you know put my right hand on red and my left foot on yellow yeah. and that's like what i'm just going to be accepting of with intimacy um that's you know a lot of the work that i've done not only professionally in the clinical space but like research wise is what are the precursors or they call it like predictors in research to um, communicating in relationships. Mm -hmm. 
And that's my probably my biggest passion is like getting folks to communicate even about difficult things in the workplace, in your relationship, in your friendships with your, you know, with your um, PCP, your prescriber, like it's not fun and easy to have conversations that are difficult. But when it comes to something like sex, which for some folks is a really integral part of their life and their Mm -hmm. relationship and their connection with each other, it's you got to talk about it. You got to express yourself. And if your partner is judgmental and not understanding, it's going to make this a little bit more difficult. But if you have a partner who's expressing that empathy, it's, it could make things a lot more magical and fun for you. (laughs) Yes, totally. And it's also kind of, it's telling what, like the, way that the conversation goes is really telling of the tone of the rest of your relationship. And so if you're having this conversation and this person's like, I don't give a shit, like I literally don't care, then maybe that's something to think about. Like, why do they not care? Why are they not more involved in this? Why is this not a priority for them if it's a priority for me? And so having those conversations and opening up the lines of communication, sometimes it's it, it sucks and sometimes it doesn't go the way that you want it to, but it ends up giving you the answers you needed anyway. I definitely agree. And I find a lot of times folks come to me for premarital counseling. And those are folks that are comfortable having the conversations most of the time. Mm -hmm. Folks who are not really comfortable might be more avoidant or resistant to therapy or a couples or a premarital situation. So I find in premarital counseling, even with folks who are comfortable, they will still struggle to talk about things like how will we raise our children and Mm -hmm. do we have a joint, you know, what do finances look like? Do we have a joint bank account or where will we spend holidays? (laughs) So if they're having a hard time with talking about sex, they probably are having a hard time talking about non-sexual things too. Interesting. So how would you recommend that if people are having this this issue, one is is experiencing um, stronger desire than the other, and they want to just like open up the lines of communication, how do you recommend people dip a toe into that water? Great question. Probably the best question because this is my expertise. <laughs> um, I consider myself a communication queen, and I don't just say that like non um, like willy nilly. I, yeah. I I do have a a research expertise, a science expertise. I did my dissertation on this. So I also also have an HR background. So I am really excited to help people find that language and that tone and those words and kind of coach people through, like, how do I approach this really difficult situation with this person that I really care about and I love and I don't want things to go poorly with. Mm -hmm. So Um, I would say like definitely do a little bit of consultation, whether you are doing this by yourself or, or in with support of loved ones or even like a professional, it, it, you know, I'm a therapist and I, I want to promote therapy all of the time, but if therapy is not your thing, find someone else who can help. And maybe that's someone who is, um, just a really strong support system for you in any way, shape or form. Um, for me, it's probably my personal trainer. <laughs> <She's>, <laughs> I love that. That's so funny. I do have a therapist and I, um, you know, the work there is very unique and special and I have other supports, but I feel like something about my personal trainer is like <laughs> where I can just truly be myself and body mind connection so easy there. But 
Um, That's and- so funny. I feel like because personal trainers see you at your absolute like worst they really some do. days. They really do. And, and the level of vulnerability is wild. <laughs> it really is. And, you know, I... I will always, you know, I know the gym is not for everybody and personal training is not for everybody, but I will always promote it. It's helped me through my personal tough times, my career stress, my professional, you know, ups and downs and shifts and shakes. So um, huge advocate for mind, body and um, just physical, uh, physical health as well as emotional and mental and sexual. Um, Mm -hmm. So finding someone who can help kind of like give you some feedback practicing but even before that I always recommend people like do some sort of mindfulness so I know I've talked about this and this is my familiar perhaps familiar but I I was always that therapist especially coming from a family of attorneys where it's a little more challenging to do the emotional stuff and it's way more accepted to do the intellectual side of things and the logical side of things and I think um when you really get to know yourself on the emotional level and you allow yourself to be vulnerable you start to trigger mindfulness and it's not necessarily that you have to do the typical mindfulness of meditation or yoga or whatever that looks like for you, um, a breathing technique. Those are all fantastic, but also very challenging. So Mm -hmm. they're not for everybody. And a lot of times I find they're not for the folks that I serve. And for a long time, it wasn't for me. So I definitely get the challenges of that, but it's going to help you dissociate less and really engage both hemispheres of your brain, actually, to do some like neuroplasty, as they say, like not actually neurosurgery, but neuroplasty to process and unlock the emotions and the thoughts and the, you know, just any like residual feelings that you have about this topic, other topics, trauma in your life, stress that you've went through and helping you to be more aware of like, okay, what do I want here? And what am I trying to accomplish in this conversation? Mm -hmm. And then delivery will be a lot easier, I think. Yeah. So having, and then also like, you want to be in a place where you're very empathetic to yourself and very empathetic to your partner. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a place where you're finding like you're resentful or like, you're just, you know, you're coming, you're, you're going through like a tough time in your own life maybe not the best time to have the conversation. You definitely want to be like as clear minded as possible. Um, But the goal is to introduce it lightly. I call this a compliment sandwich. So you can say like, (laughs) Hey partner, I, you know, I'm so thankful for this relationship, but there's something that I do want to talk about. It's something on my mind, you know, deliver difficult line here, which is um, I'm, I'm interested in exploring you know, um, different levels of intimacy with you sexually and non-sexually, whatever, whatever you're seeking. Um, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I really appreciate what we've done so far. I really am grateful for the experiences we have had together, but, um, how do you feel about shifting gears and kind of like, whether it's like a little bit easier to deliver or difficult, a really important moment is giving them space to respond because you might be dropping a nuclear bomb. You might be dropping a little, you know, sprinkles on the Sunday, but for them, they're allowed to have their own reactions, their own Mm -hmm. feelings and thoughts. And you want to give them the space, whether it's in that moment or another moment to respond. Mm -hmm. And 
what I find often is like, if they start to get defensive, the other partner will start to get defensive and then feel like shame for bringing it up in the first place and probably not bring it up again. Mm -hmm. So it can quickly get emotional and then like no problem solving happens. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations for people who are going to try and course correct if any of that defensiveness comes up? Of course. Yeah. Um, One thing is like apologizing if it's appropriate. You know, you're not necessarily doing something wrong if you're bringing this up, but you want to be mindful that, you know, maybe they had a stressful day or a stressful situation, you know, something in their life and you brought it up at a bad time. Um, Or you can say like, let's... um, like red light, like let's like pause on this and Mm -hmm. like finish dinner or, you know, finish putting the kids to bed and let's revisit this on Friday. Um, But I also recommend something to couples, which is called honesty hour, which is encouraging them that throughout the week they should focus on positive things. And for one hour a week, which there's 168 hours in a week, you could take one hour (laughs) to just get, put the gloves on and like really talk about and hash out something negative and that could be this conversation revisited. I love I love that idea. I had an ex forever ago um talk about having tune-ups and it felt yes. like doing that also having it regularly is very helpful because yes. if you come out of nowhere with we need to have a talk, no, immediately yep. I I I'm sweating, I have pre-diarrhea, I can't. Yes. It's too much. I can't do <laughs> yes. it. And and God help you if you say we need to have a talk, we'll talk about it when I'm home or we'll talk about no, you need Mm-mm. to talk to me about it immediately. Immediately. Yes. But if you're doing something that's regular and you do it like where you set the tone and the the preface of like I'm doing this because I care about you and I care about our relationship so Mm -hmm. much that I want us to stay as amazing as we are now if not better and I think this would help I think that's such a great way to do it it takes so much stress off of the table totally and it gives you the opportunity to be vulnerable without feeling like you're attacking someone on the worst day or whatever. Absolutely. I I also tell couples like two things. One, think about it. Like if you were at work, imagine your Mm -hmm. boss who's like, you know, could really pop in with anything. Imagine them just saying like meeting with me in three hours. Like, no, (laughs) immediately. No, (laughs) you don't want your partner to do that either. Um, But I have found oddly enough that some couples will say to me, I don't want it scheduled because it's, you know, for whatever reason, it's scary. I'm anticipating it. Right. um, I just know that that's going to like ruin the rest of the day type of thing. And they want want it, um, what I call coached in the moment. So, but I tell them, you know, you have to have some sort of like boundaries with that. So you can't just be like, I want to talk and I want to talk now. um, Right. Unless your partner wants that. But there's no right or wrong way to do anything. It's really, like you said, about the discrepancy and like, what does each person feel comfortable with? Yeah. And so a lot of times when I get these messages, it's, I mean, my audience on, on like Instagram specifically is mostly women, but Mm -hmm. I feel like it's something that women voice more often. And I, part of me thinks that it's because the weight of a household and the weight of like kids and, and that kind of a thing often falls on on a woman and there are, there are stresses both ways, but, 
Um, I think that that's like, I get a lot of, of messages that are like, I have been with my husband for two years and recently I just like, I can't, I don't want him to look at me. I don't want him to touch me. And he wants to have sex with me and I don't want it. Or we just had kids and, you know, even if they did, if they've had kids for a while, like, you know, we have three kids and I don't, this is like, so not a priority to me. And I first have to say that that's all very normal and, yes. and intimacy and desire will fluctuate your entire lifetime. Like it will never stay the same. So mm -hmm. these kinds of conversations and these skills are so important because you're, if you don't need them now, you're going to need it right. at some point in your lifetime. You know? Absolutely. Um, I could definitely speak to that. I hear the same thing. And funnily enough, I just took a flight on, um, well, I was at the ASEC conference in yes. California this weekend. And my, on my flight home, I just decided to be friendly and um, talk to the very kind woman next to me. And she literally said this to me, um, amongst other things. We were just whatever, exchanging information. <laughs> um, and she was like explaining to me uh, just a kind of like a day in the life for her. And mm -hmm. she, I think like the, you know, partner A like handles the kids in the morning, partner B handles the kids in the evening, whoever it is that day. And this person works on, you know, the off time and the other person. So the two partners are, are living in the same home, but kind of like two ships passing in the night. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, when do you have time for each other? And she said, well, when the kids go to bed at whatever, 8, 830, we're just both exhausted. And yeah. something that really stood out to me that I just was a magical nugget that I've taken with me is that she said to me, she's like, you know, it's not ideal for our marriage, but I also know that this is temporary for us, especially with small children. And mm -hmm. I know that I'm going to really be missing these moments when I'm, you know, when my children are off to flee the nest. Right. Um, so I kind of said to her, like, if you could find a, I mean, I wasn't trying to do therapy on a plane, but. <laughs> Did she know that you were a therapist? She I must kind have. Of, yeah, I kind of <laughs> told her, um, but she wasn't bringing this up for me to like do therapy in the moment. She was more just like, it's her do, life. Right. Like, how do women do it all? And I was like, they don't like, don't, please, <laughs> they don't. Please don't think that like women are super people and that they're supposed to have it all figured out. And yeah, um, I will speak to your point about the gender differences or the the um, gender partnership, I guess. I think, again, regardless of the, the couple or the gender identity of the couple, it's still a conversation that needs to be had. Totally. So how do you want to bring this up to your partner? How do you want to hash this out? There's no right or wrong way. If they decide that, the you know, in this case, the person with a vulva um, takes care of the home and the children and um, like continues to work part time or whatever, there's nothing wrong with that. But if they're not happy doing that, of course, like a conversation and, a, and some problem solving needs to be had. And maybe that's something that you want to do for yourself, but also the example you want to set for the younger generation. Yeah, yeah. But if not, it's also fine. Like there's nothing wrong with there's nothing there's no right or wrong way is what I see. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's always funny when some of the, the messages end up turning into a conversation of like, I don't really care to have sex. And I feel bad that my feeling like my partner does. And then the partner is like, I also don't really care. And right. then you both are just like in a place where you know what, I'm exhausted. And at the end of the day, I want to go to bed or whatever it is. And that's totally fine. And there are other ways to, to 
practice intimacy in a relationship that have nothing to do with sex. Yep. And that's also so important too. Like planning little date nights for yourselves if you can, or when mm -hmm. the kids go to bed and you can like have a glass of wine together. Maybe you're watching a show together. And they're even like there are small things I was looking at um earlier today. There's a questionnaire um that two doctors had done where they had they determined four categories of non-sexual intimacy yeah okay and it was so it was so interesting because some of the things that women this was a study particularly with women but they some of the things that they had marked especially high were things like getting a massage or even giving a massage that's <laughs> so easy like that's yeah. so easy yeah they were they were really simple and just things like even like hugging like that like those are things that really do mean a lot and and I think when people think about it on this like really big scale of yep. like sex and it's such a big thing and a we have to be like performance almost yeah, yeah yeah exactly and it's just so it's such like a um a piece of this whole big ecosystem of your relationship and there's so many other things that you can totally. do that are not that Absolutely. And you're even bringing up like um, physical intimacy mm -hmm. examples, like, a, you know, a hug or a, a cuddle right. even, or a Netflix and chill. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know that term is outdated, but, um, <laughs> but there's also even non-sexual and non-physical ways to be intimate. Um, there was, you know, probably building off this similar research path there's emotional intimacy, there's intellectual intimacy, spiritual intimacy, there's environmental intimacy. And just Ooh. to give you quick examples, one is emotional intimacy, which is you could actually build a deep emotional connection through empathy, mm -hmm. which could look something like, I felt like over you know, a meal, I wanted to open up to you about me being bullied as a child, and you validated my emotions, you showed understanding, and you showed that you were supportive. That's sexy today. And, it is. and always, but especially with relationships today, where it takes the pressure off of the sexual expectations and the physical, you know, touch expectations. And they can talk about, you know, how spirituality and religiosity is such mm -hmm. an integral part of how they show and give love to each other. Mm -hmm. um, intellectual. So like talking about hot, deep, you know, <laughs> in, you know, academic topics can be like, oh, wow, you know a lot about this. I do too. Let's, you know, I would love to beliefs? know what a, what a hot, deep <laughs> academic topic is. Um, in my experience, it's mostly like um, just something really, really Random. academic. Right. Okay. Yeah, but it could also be like politics. It could also oh, be okay. um, something where people – like a book that they've mutually read or like a, a strategy of chess or something. Or right, right, something, right, right. Yeah, like something where people are – or even like sexy – financial strategies like, <laughs> that that sometimes is like if people people can connect over you know topics that you don't think are necessarily turning them on but yeah it does well, I get that because because one of the things actually on that questionnaire was watching somebody do something physical so watching mm -hmm. someone like play a sport or mm -hmm. like 
move something. And that makes sense because the amount of times that I have felt most attracted to somebody when they're doing something that has nothing to do with me. <laughs> like, I I don't know how. Oh, John and I, there are these cards. If you don't have these, you should get them. They're, I probably um, do. It's the We're Not Really Strangers yep. card. Yep. I love them. I, and I recommend it to a lot of people. They're so great. So we did we did a podcast episode a couple of days ago. And one of the questions was like, when do you find me most attractive? And it was like, honestly, when you're doing stand up, like, because you're so confident and you're having such a great time and like, so in your element. And like, so that totally makes sense, even though it seems kind of like, it sounds silly when you're just saying it plainly, but I totally have experienced that. And I feel like other people absolutely have to. I think an integral part of everything you you and, and I are saying is that we're just non-judgmental of our partner and whoever, because what yeah. turns someone on may not turn you on, but if they're into it, you know, let them do their thing. Yeah, totally. And that's also import an important amount of um, grace and respect that you should give yourself too. Like if that- Absolutely. If it turns you on to see a sexy financial <laughs> budgeting sheet, mm -hmm. by all means, that like whatever. It's everything is so. I think that people get very stuck on like what they're supposed to be, the exactly. rules of everything, and it's yeah. just so not that. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I also, um, when people are messaging me about like exactly these kinds of things, one of the things that I recommend is to take sex off the table for a little while because mm -hmm. sometimes the anticipation and stress of like I should be doing this is causing more stress which then inhibits your ability to enjoy a sexual interaction at all and it also allows you to like open up the lines of of foreplay more like if you have totally. taken like if you've taken like if you've taken oh my god hello I just like short-circuited if you take sex off the table totally but you're allowed to kiss and you're allowed to like touch or whatever mm -hmm. can you imagine what your what your Netflix and chill night is gonna be can you imagine like if you're going to like the park and you're holding hands and that's all you can do absolutely um I want to build on something else that you said which is the expectation for intimacy can come on a continuum. So for example, in my training, especially my sex therapy work, I've always been taught that as a sex therapist, you're helping people have sex and also mm -hmm. not have sex. So oh. part of our work is, you know, normalizing that someone might be identifying as asexual and helping them like really grow into that comfortability in themselves and realize like everything is okay. And, and mm -hmm. you don't have to be this like very like big mouth character, like, <laughs> right. you know, or even like sex education, which I still need to watch. <gasps> and you're so, going to love it. I'm the worst. I need to, everyone tells me I need to watch it. And yeah, I it's I so good. So asexual and, you know, not having sex is also like a, uh, goal for folks and helping them like just feel like they're not a mutant almost yeah um yeah. but funny enough coming out of this conference this is perfect timing is um I learned a lot about the modern like languages for sex and oh. there's not just five um that people typically will um allude to and I I have to cite this person um it's um, 
I'm forgetting her name, but, <laughs> but there's more, I'll just be vague and, and um, give her a shout out later, but sh- there's more than five and they come in many shapes and sizes. A lot of them we've already talked about today. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily that like you have to be a gift giver or you have to like follow one of these five avenues of like giving and receiving sex, but this could come in many shapes and sizes and that's totally fine. Everyone has their own little intimate bubble that people don't need to know all your details and your secrets and judge you for them. Like it's Mm -hmm. just you and your partner. But something else that I learned that I feel comfortable sharing is that there's a lot of people also trying to either have sex for the first time or they're trying to start becoming intimate or sexual again after like some sort of break for whatever reason, um, sometimes a good reason, sometimes like a traumatizing reason. And you and your partner need to make sure that you're discussing like a comfortability levels. So someone who's experiencing vaginal pain, for example, or erectile disorder or some sort of like sexual dysfunction, I do recommend a like more systematic step-by-step approach to help them not just with like the communicative side of things, but also like the behavioral trying things. Mm -hmm. So if you're not comfortable, you know, going all around the bases the first time, why don't you start with first base and then, and then gradually shift and shake or not. And if you don't want to go around the bases, you stay at base you know, second base, that's fine. So I think we're highlighting a bigger theme here, which is there is a lot of assumption and misconception. And I think it does drive people, you know, a little confused and frustrated, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of pressure to perform. And I think a lot of people just don't want to let their partner down. But in reality, you you most likely aren't like you're If your partner cares about you um, and you share some sort of emotional empathy or or emotional um, closeness, they'll understand and they'll be like, it's totally fine. Well, they should understand. And if they don't, maybe there's a deeper conversation that needs to be had or we can help educate them to better understand. Yeah. Yeah. For Do you feel like there's a difference between – like if someone is single and they're dating and they're like, I – I'm not really into having sex right now. I just like, I want to do like, I'll make out, I'll do whatever. And, but they want to become more in touch with their own sexuality. Like it's, it's more of like an independent thing. Yeah. What, do you have any suggestions? I know that obviously like, not obviously, but, but um, anything that's, that's the mind body connection is really helpful. And like, that was something that that I talked about a lot when I worked for um, the sex coach a couple years ago. She was a somatic practitioner, which is mm-hmm. all that body work. But do you have any exercises or suggestions? Absolutely. I mean, just like anything, in order to educate yourself, you want to do some sort of research and development. So this can come in many boxes. Um, but I always recommend that people phone a friend. Mm. So, you know, ask your people in your life. Um, like, when did you start? How did you start? Because a lot of times people started because of some sort of like older sibling cousin or remaining college or a close peer of, of or, or even a role model in their life. I'm a big believer in like the mind piece, which is like gain a lot of knowledge, educate. So books, podcasts are going to 
podcasts have taught me a lot. Yeah. Sometimes more than the classroom. And that's a plug for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, Ask a professional. um, Ask someone who will take the time for you. Maybe some professionals, that's not their expertise to take take some time. Even better, touch yourself. Like Mm -hmm. I always recommend for folks for the body side of things to like just touch areas and like don't hesitate to try new things as long as it's not illegal you're Mm -hmm. you know you're you're in the clear and touch yourself um try try things that you probably wouldn't try before and i do have a a worksheet i give to folks to give them like examples of things where i find that they look at the sheet and they giggle for a second because they're like i would never (laughs) pee on someone or i would never (laughs) you know, try anal and then they try it and they're like, oh, wow, this like goes against a lot of what I thought. But yeah, this works for me and I'm going to let let things rock. Yeah. Um, yeah. I even think it's like one of the things that I think has always helped me feel more in touch with my own like sensuality is dancing. Oh my God. Yes. If you can just, and my mom and I just had a conversation about that where she was like, you know what? I realized I don't really dance anymore. And I was like, girl, dance, dance away. It's so good for you. And it makes you feel so much more like with your body. And, and it doesn't have to be like, like you're listening to like S&M by Rihanna and like you're, you know, it could could be whatever, but it just makes you feel so much more associated with your own body. Um, buying an outfit that you think you look really hot in Mm -hmm. buying makeup that you think you look really hot in like any Mm -hmm. of those types of things that'll just boost your confidence and make you feel like, damn, yeah, that'll help. And it'll make you like, you have to do those little things, almost like dating yourself. Like Absolutely. you're doing all the things, all the things you would, you would expect maybe like, or not expect, but you would hope a partner might do for you. Like, I don't know, buy you lingerie, buy it for yourself, yeah. go, on at, go on one of the websites and browse the toys. And honestly, close your eyes and point your finger all the way down and pick one and see what happens. Treat Absolutely. it like an adventure. I, to- I couldn't agree more. And I know people are probably waiting for me to say, like, love yourself before you love someone else. But I do want to say that I think you could do this also in a relationship. Mm-hmm. So single or not single, I think you should, this should always be a priority in your life of yes. taking care of yourself and doing the outer work and the inner work and feel just let's feel good. Like we're only on earth for a short amount of time. I want to feel happy and peaceful. And, you know, it's tough to be in a place where you don't love yourself. And it may bring little, you know, bumps in the road in the relationship, but there's always something that you can do to change. And that's why I said, like, phone a friend, get some social support. It's a big, it's a big game changer. That's interesting because I never thought about that. Like I'm I'm very lucky that I'm able to talk about sex and sexuality with my friends and we're relatively open Mm -hmm. with each other. But I've never thought about like having a, a conversation with them about like when did you start, you know, having actual sex or like when did you like masturbate for the first time? Oh, my best friend and I had dinner yesterday and we did talk about the first time we ever saw like a naked body that wasn't <laughs> ours. And for her, hers is so good. She went, she tried to go to BritneySpears.com. So like just a sign of the times. Yes. <laughs> and she mistyped Britney and she wrote like Brit Britney Brittany or something, Spears. And it was porn. And so she was like, oh, my God. 
And um, and then her parents found, I guess, found the website maybe in like search history or whatever, and um, and thought it was her older brother. And she just like let it rock. She was like, that that's it. Yeah, hilarious. A book worthy. I know. It's so good. I love it. I love it. Uh, but yeah, I never thought about that. Like really, like the phone a friend thing is really nice because you. I think people feel a lot more isolated and alone than they actually are. Well, I think also like culturally, whether American or non-American, it's still a secret. Like this is still something that people are very, very hesitant to bring up and, you know, talk about. I'm not saying you have to talk about it at work, but like (laughs) just get the conversation going. You know, you'd be surprised what comes up and you'll always learn a lot about yourself no matter what happens. Yeah, totally, totally. This is like the fastest hour of my life. Um, but I want to recap what we like, what we talked about. Sure. So, so desire discrepancy is when partner A maybe wants more f- the uh, frequency or a style of some mm-hmm. sort of um, sex or intimacy more than partner B. Mm-hmm. But it seems like first line of defense, per usual, honestly, is communication and opening up the lines of communication. Right. I would say that is going to be transformational for your your desired state individually and in in the relationship. Yeah. Or even maybe even before you actually open up the conversation to a partner is a good time for you to actually sit with your thoughts and actually a good time for me to do things like that is when I'm driving because mm-hmm. if I'm driving and like, if I turn off music and I turn off the audiobook and I'm just driving, I'm doing something enough mm-hmm. that I can free up my brain and just think about all of these other things. And, um, I even like, I, I'm again, ASMR love that too. Totally. And, and like, even those types of things help you sort of zone out enough to get in your own thoughts um, and doing that and like collecting yourself before you come to the table with a partner is also really helpful. Absolutely. Some, one of the best advice pieces of advice that I received recently is we are always processing. Like mm. we may not always be emoting or emotional, but we are always processing if we give ourselves that space. Yeah. So sometimes it comes up as a surprise while we're, you know, in the middle of you know, I don't know, lift doing a deadlift or it's coming while we're driving and we get and we actually carve out that time. So mm-hmm. regardless, you, you know, try not to be scared of it. Try not to be afraid of it because anxiety is a normal reaction, emotion, but processing is going to bring a lot of clarity and probably a lot of healing for folks. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I totally get that. It's so funny. Like when you really give yourself the the space to process, yeah. it is really healing. It really is. And I feel like that's probably, I think I, we briefly said like the biggest barrier for folks is like, they're just go, go, go all day long, super stressed that responsibilities just are endless until you go to, you know, hopefully sleep. And then the next day you do it all over again and you don't find that pocket of time for yourself mm-hmm. to you know, just have a, a individual space. Yeah, totally. And it's a missed opportunity for folks who are trying to change things. Yeah. And it helps you really get clear on what, what might be, what, what your goal is, what your life, what you want your life to look like and what stands in the way 
between where you are now and what you're trying to achieve in your relationship or on your own. Um, and we had we had a previous guest on the podcast, her name's Abby, and she had said, clear is kind. And that was like one of her biggest pieces of advice is when you're having these conversations and they feel really hard, you already started it. Mm -hmm. Don't don't say only like a fourth of it if you can be as clear as you can, because if you're clear, that is far kinder than giving somebody sort of like a, a half-assed thing that they're going to have to decipher anyway. If that's, I'm going to uh, save that for later for my folks who are having trouble in the dating world. Yeah. Yeah. Just be honest about what you want while you're yeah. dating. <laughs> yes. I, I remember like before I met John and I was, I was dating a little bit in LA. That was the one thing that I thought of the most is like, I'm simply not playing the game anymore because if I, I'm just going to, I'm not half-assing who I am. I'm going to whole-ass who I am from the <laughs> first date because if you don't like it, then I know that this is not going to work anyway. Right. And it'll save us a lot of time and money and energy and making up and whatever. And so I'll save the outfit, the next date outfit for someone else if you can't appreciate the whole thing. I mean, it brings our session here full circle because we were just saying that folks will sort of morph themselves to, to bring their partner desire so that mm -hmm. it doesn't rock the boat or ruffle feathers. Yeah. 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 And it's just not worth it. And you deserve more than that. And totally. And it's so fixable. Nobody's broken. And there, there are definitely ways to to work on all of it. So we are coming to almost an hour and I can't believe it. I ask everyone who comes on the podcast to give their best piece of dating advice. Dating and it could advice. be, yeah, it could be any, anything that like a small thing you heard or like a whatever, whatever comes to mind. Do you have anything? I'm sure I do. <laughs> the moment you know that you love this other person more than you love yourself, they're a keeper. Hmm. I'm also going to add that relationships should have their ways, waves of easy and hard, but you should be feeling loved. You should be able to truly be yourself and be truly loved unconditionally. Mm -hmm. And that's how you know that you've found the one, I'd say. Yeah, I love that. And we had someone um, recently say that when you love someone so much, even the hard parts are easy. Like even the arguments are easy because you're fighting for something that you, you care, care so much about. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That that came from some personal work. Did it? So, so I that's not professional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really interesting question. It's the dating is really tough. And I, I the ins and outs of like, feeling insecure and anxious and what do they want? What do they don't want? Always remember that research will say, and I could attest to through my own research that you probably don't know what they're thinking or feeling accurately. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so that's also great advice. <laughs> yeah. You, you need to ask questions and have those difficult conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on today. This has already been so helpful. And I feel like you're going to be a, a guest that is requested back on here. More than happy to be here for 
as many times as you want. This was extremely fun and I really, really appreciate it. Yay, thank you. Thank you. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. These don't come often. Oh, they should. <laughs> when you're in a bubble. <laughs> <laughs> so much for listening as a reminder we are always accepting questions about sex ed about relationships life advice we will accept it all we would love to hear from you so send us an email to Alyssa explains it all pod at gmail.com If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.